0: Welcome to Episode 5 of the Holistic Musicianship Podcast with pianist, music director, and conductor Rick Bertone. I'm your host, Jack Star Rubin. Thanks so much for tuning in today, and I hope your musical adventure has been deeply nourishing of late. We've got a terrific interview coming right up, but I'd like to begin by sharing that for the past week, my wife and I have been exploring making music and creativity our first priority when we wake up each morning. It's been so lovely to start the day with connecting to ourselves in this way, and since we've begun, the rest of our days have just felt brighter and more productive. If it resonates with you, we invite you to give it a try for yourself. Really excited about today's interview because it's our first with a conductor and music director, which offers us a different perspective than we've had on the show so far. We'll be speaking about the importance of creating a safe space when working with or leading other musicians, overcoming chronic tension and a severe playing-related injury, and the interplay between our emotions, our physical bodies, and our music. We'll also speak about several tools for helping with musical perfectionism, comparison, and low self-worth, and our guest will share some wisdom that has helped him thrive as a professional musician. Our guest today is Rick Bertone. He's been working as a pianist, conductor, and music director for Broadway shows for over a decade. He was the music director of Avenue Q for five years, and he also worked as the associate conductor for Jerry Springer the opera. That must have been quite the show. On Broadway, he's played keyboards for Mama Mia, Spamalot, Porgy and Bess, and If Then. And he's also worked on several Broadway tours, including Next to Normal, Wicked, and Chicago. And regionally, he's music-directed productions of Jersey Boys, Little Shop of Horrors, and several others. And finally, in addition to his work in New York, Rick's recently decided to go bi-coastal, and he's currently diving into the music scene in Los Angeles. I got a great deal from getting to hear from Rick, and I hope you will as well. Here we go. So welcome, Rick. Thank you so much for being with us on the show today. Yes, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have you here with us today because you're the first person I'm getting to interview who is not only a pianist, but also a conductor. So I wonder if you could share with us a little bit about how you bring a holistic mentality into your work as a conductor.
1: Sure. Uh, I I actually kind of just, you know, discovered and worked on the holistic side of my musicianship while I was employed as a conductor. So while I was learning to kind of bring all of that into my own personal musicianship, it only felt natural that it should translate to the job I was doing every day. I work in musical theater. So, you know, you're doing the same show eight times a week, but at least in New York, on Broadway, the musicians who come in every day fluctuate. So it became important for me to know that whoever was going to be in my band that day was in a safe space where they felt comfortable expressing themselves musically.
0: Interesting. I've I've heard a lot of people speak about uh, who play in these pits or in orchestras and feeling actually a great sense of lack of safety with the energy that their conductor gives to them. Like a sense of mm-hmm. pressure, don't make any mistakes. It sounds like you
1: have the opposite mentality. Well, I think when you're the when you're the one in charge, you kinda have to ride the line of straight down the middle. You have to maintain the integrity of the piece. The musical integrity always has to be top notch, especially at Broadway level. However, I personally don't believe you you get top notch performance by scowling at people every time they make a mistake or or giving them a sense of you know, a threat if (laughs) if they're not playing well that day. I think we all have days where we don't play as well as other days. But for me, creating an environment where people felt comfortable expressing themselves was was very important to me because all of my years where I wasn't the one in charge, I I was aware of my own playing. You know, if a conductor was going to like scowl at me at every little mistake I made, it only made the show get worse and worse as it kept going. Whereas... I'll never forget. I mean, I made a mistake I like on a big Broadway show. I like on a pretty iconic musical line. And like three measures later I got right back on track and the conductor came up to me at intermission. I was like I was nervous. I was just a substitute. And she came over to me and all she said was really nice recovery. And that mm. like that was such a I wasn't a music director yet at that time, but when I became a music director, I took that with me and I still use it to that to this day.
0: Wow. That's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. I think that really mirrors the experience that so many people have as musicians themselves, sort of being their own conductors of that. I think musicians typically or oftentimes have a sense of being, you know, their own taskmaster, being really hard on themselves, really expecting perfection of themselves, getting really frustrated when it's not coming about, and that actually maybe that isn't what brings about the highest level of musicianship. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I think I would agree with that. I mean, I've never articulated it that way, but um, I think as artists, we're so hard on ourselves all the time and we're constantly comparing our performance to those of the people that we idolize and who inspire us musically. However, I I just never considered, and this has been many years of learning, but I never considered perfectionism to be a healthy end goal. And for me, I actually am more inspired by the raw emotional power of music when there are slight imperfections in it, because to me, that's where the humanity kind of shines through the performance. Mm. I agree with
0: you very much, though. And how do you go about creating a safe space, safe container for yourself as a musician and for your musicians when you're acting as conductor?
1: Well, it's hard. I'm going to be honest. Like when I, as a music director, had my days where I was in my head and I was self-conscious because I didn't get a gig that I wanted or or I was playing auditions and I didn't sight read something well. And it's hard not to walk into work and just let all that go because then all of a sudden you're conducting your show and like, am I, am I a shit? Do I not know what am I doing? Like, am I just a really bad music director? So like, it's the whole like, you have to help yourself before you help others on the plane with the oxygen mask. <laughs> So it became kind of a a learning lesson of all of that is separate, and now I'm the one in charge. And even if all that happened, I kind of have to push that to the side because now I have to lead others. So, I mean, to a degree, there's a little of fake it till you make it. And even if you are the one in charge and you are struggling with your own inner demons, I'm, hey, they're paying me a lot of money to come in here and make the show happen every night. So. You have to put the manager hat on and push all your own personal stuff aside and show up ready, ready to lead. And I'm not saying I was awesome at it, but I worked really damn hard to always try to leave as much of that outside of the pit as I could.
2: Mm.
0: And then kind of you walking it for yourself, giving space to the other people in your orchestra or in your Mm -hmm. pit to be able to do the same.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um I mean, I think because I've been on both sides of the coin, I've I've subbed on many shows and I know what it's like to be in the hot spot where all the regular players are in and and then you're kind of the the new guy who's only played the show maybe six or seven times. So I mean, the <laughs> there's a lot of pressure. I mean, I was I was subbing on a Broadway show the night Michelle Obama saw it. So it's like here's this huge iconic show and there's a huge person in the audience. And it's just like, I don't want to mess anything up. You know, like it's, it's cause we take what we do seriously. So I always tried to understand the flow of musicianship and the, and the flow of just musical theater when I was the one in charge. So if we had a substitute come back into the band who hadn't been there in like six weeks and, and, you know, he or she made a couple mistakes, it wasn't the end of the world for me because for me music and theater is a living breathing thing so in the 6 or 7 weeks since they've been there the show might be a little different than how they remember it or the configuration of musicians might be different than when they were in last so you give them a performance or two and you give them some feedback after they perform and and then if they're a pro then they come back with the you know with whatever feedback you gave them and then hopefully they they fall back in line as to where they were you know if they weren't performing where you want them to perform but I I never found that like in the heat of the moment when somebody makes a mistake that you turn and you give them a dirty look. To me, that was never successful. So I mean, but a, a bit of this comes down to psychology more than musicianship. Like you have to know how to communicate with people. And if someone's really sensitive, and they're beating themselves up for the fact that they made the mistake, anything I do is only going to make it worse. So like, I just try to like, you know, you try to read them in the moment and if, and if they acknowledge it and if they're a pro, they should acknowledge it and know, you know, oh, sh- whoops, I made a, I made a mistake. Then I just kind of take a back seat and if it was something egregious or if it was something that stage management or other aspects of the production are going to have a problem with, then then I will have to address it after the show and be like, you know, I know I know you're aware that that happened, but um, if there's anything I can do to help you make sure that doesn't happen again or if you want to run it next time you're in, we'll, we'll do that. So I, I always try to come from that perspective with, when working with people, instead of just being like, the, the bar is here, you have to hit it or you're out. Mm. And some people work that way, and, and some people get a great product that way. But I always try to stay true to just my personality. And that's just, I don't thrive in that environment as a substitute or as a musician. And if I don't thrive in that environment, I don't want to create an environment that doesn't feel natural to just who I am.
0: I agree with you and I and I feel like I would do much much better myself in in your orchestra or your pit than <laughs> <laughs> sort of the other one that we were talking about. I think this experience of being hard on ourselves as musicians, beating ourselves up, insecurity, comparison, and kind of low self-worth experiences are so common for musicians. Could you share a little mm-hmm. bit about your process with that? Is that something you experience and
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's common for all artists. Um, my my friends were actors and dancers and directors. I mean, you 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 watch people's insecurities take them over at times. And I, I mean, I'm I fall into this category more than anyone. And it's hard because it sometimes it'll hit you when you least expect it. Sometimes it could be because you didn't get that job you wanted. Sometimes it's because your friend or your colleague got that job that you wanted, and then it's. Next to impossible to not flip the narrative and be like, well, what you know? Why wasn't that me? Or what could I have done to be in that position? And and then in the world of entertainment, I mean, then you just get into politics and nepotism and who owes who a favor, and like sometimes it has absolutely nothing to do with your ability at all. Um, and even then, it's still a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> so I don't have a magic answer to this because I still deal with it. I've been dealing with it my whole career. But I think the tools that I would use is sometimes I'll just go back and look at my resume and I'll just be like, look at all these things I've done. Like, <laughs> maybe I'm not the best and maybe I'm not making millions of dollars. And, you know, maybe I don't have that person's career. But but if I can look back over the past 10, 15 years of what I've done in this industry, like I worked on some pretty cool projects with some really great people. And that alone, at least provides like a foundation in which to like rebuild you know sense of self and self-worth and self-esteem in those moments where it's wavering and then I guess something I'm I'm still working on but I try to keep a rotation of pieces that just make me happy that I'm nothing to do with making money so if I like playing a song from in the heights just because it makes me feel like a giddy 18 year old gay boy again then I'm gonna go sit at my piano and just play it, and if it brings a smile to my face, that's the whole point of making music. Mm. Um, so, so sometimes you just have to take a moment like that to just go back to your roots and 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 remind yourself of why you're there in the first place, and that you obviously have the skill set. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to to buy my home in New York by being a musician, and that's a blessing, and I'm super grateful for that. And sometimes I just have to like look at my apartment and be like, I built this because I clearly have a skill set that's gotten me here. And you know what? It feels like crap today because I didn't get that job I really wanted, but I still have all of this and who knows what's going to come next. I mean, in in my business, you get one phone call and the next year of your life can be completely different than what you planned 24 hours before.
2: Mm.
0: I think it's so common for us as human beings to just focus on the negatives in our lives rather than acknowledging The positives, or the things that have happened, or how far we've come, and so I find that to be such a beneficial and helpful shift of consciousness to actually try to stay with the positives and acknowledge them, and let that let that in for ourselves. It's almost like as human beings, we don't want to acknowledge
1: ourselves. And and again, I mean, I'm the first to say I'm not I'm not good at it. I'm not good at acknowledging the positives. I can spend days and days and days on the negatives, and maybe 15 minutes on the positive. so I, this is still an ongoing journey for me, um, but the root of it is like what you're saying is correct. <laughs> like when we can flip the narrative, it's just it's so liberating.
2: Mm.
0: What helps you flip the narrative, or at least get those 15 minutes for yourself?
1: For me, it's little. It's I try to I try to absorb the little things. I'm, I'm right now. I'm out of town. I'm doing a gig in St. Louis and it's a community of musicians here I've had the pleasure to conduct on several shows and, and on this particular show, I'm not the conductor, but um, just the other day, the guitar player came up to me and he's working on another show during the day while we're performing at night. And he's having a troubling experience with his conductor (laughs) and he just came into work one night and he was just like, I have to vent just for a moment, but I just want to say Thank you for being you and thank you for being the type of music director you are because working under you, even though it was for all of three weeks was just such a better experience than what I'm going through during the day right now. And I'm not in charge on this show right now, but just just hearing that little nugget gives me a moment of like, okay, maybe I'm doing something right. <laughs> you know, if I'm giving someone an experience that they remember and they actually want to go out of their way to thank me for, it, then you know, I try to take those tiny little moments that are unexpected and it's hard, but like, sometimes you have to learn how to take the compliment. Like <laughs> artists never want to take compliments. And sometimes when you actually just take a compliment, it, it helps rebuild a healthy ego. Mm. Why is that?
0: Why, why do artists, cause I agree with you. Why do artists have trouble taking the compliment?
1: Well, cause we're all our own worst critic. I mean, I, and and I, for me, this is artists who are. I know artists who are like end result driven or money driven, but I'm the type who's more like artistry or product driven. So for me, when it's about the artistry, I mean, there's a list of people who I just I know I'll never have what they have because to me they're just brilliant and they're you know once in a lifetime a musician like that appears on our planet. We're we're lucky to share it with them. So I think. I think when you're when you exist at that level and you have so many idols who who kind of feed your soul um, it's again it's the comparison and you know I'm just happy to be like a cog in the wheel so I, yeah I don't know if I'm explaining it right but um but yeah it's it's something about the artist journey that we're never really I don't know if an artist is ever going to be satisfied. I mean, I was talking to my friend and we just looked up Jane Fonda because I guess she has a documentary out and she's like 81 and she's still producing and she's still acting and she's still super prominent in the entertainment industry. And she doesn't have to be (laughs) like, she's had like decades and decades of like a super stable career. Even RuPaul who like just won an Emmy um, has been such like a, a prominent presence in the entertainment industry for decades now, but these are, I don't think, I think of them as artists. Like they're just not done creating. They don't just rest on their laurels because what's in their DNA is they have more art to make mm. and they have more lives to affect through their artistry. And that's why I think artists are never satisfied or they don't give themselves their, their true worth because in their brain, there's something they haven't done yet. There's a story they haven't told. And, there's somebody they haven't collaborated with yet. Mm. Great.
0: So, so I'm going to shift gears a little bit here. Um, we've kind of spoken about the emotional side of things um, to over towards the physical side of things. I know something you've shared with me is that you've had an experience dealing with and working through chronic pain as a musician. I wonder if you could share with us a little bit about your experience with that.
1: Yeah, I, it's interesting. I don't know if I would have called it chronic pain as much as... <laughs> It was chronic tension that turned into an uh, a serious injury that put me out of work for several months, mm. and I always just called it like piano back or piano shoulder just years and years and years of being like hunched over a piano and I got to a period where my my right shoulder and again when i 'm conducting from behind a piano it's generally my right hand I just feel strong i'm I'm dominant my right side so if I have to take a hand off the piano to conduct, I usually prefer it to be my right hand. So I found myself in a pattern where my right shoulder would just constantly spasm or be very tight or be locked like two or two or three inches higher than the left shoulder. And, and that went on for quite a while. And, To be honest, at that point, before the injury, I didn't have a solution. I was just surviving and getting through the day. But when the injury happened, I had to find a solution. So um, in a nutshell, my body kind of started to collapse on itself, and I herniated a disc in my neck. And there was an impingement on a nerve, and I lost sensation in my index finger that came back like 80%. And through physical therapy and swimming and ultimately Alexander Technique, I found my way back to work in a much healthier manner and much more body awareness. And the, for me, the biggest learning lesson was out of everything I got through Alexander Technique because I took a class in college and it, I never really connected to it. But when it was applied directly It was was funny what we so much of the beginning of Alexander was just sitting. I can't tell you how many sessions we had before I even got to touch a piano because just sitting and being in the body was almost a new concept after doing it for decades. So, so Alexander kind of gave me the tools to use my body with my instrument in a healthier manner than I ever had before.
2: Mm.
0: Hmm. And so you had developed a sense of learning how to use your body in a way that was going to not create so much chronic tension or excess tension in your playing.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, it became because there were so many words and phrases that were thrown to me throughout the years that I never realized were working against my approach to my physical body. Like sit up straight. Like that's like, I still kind of fight that or push your shoulders back. Like, all of these things we hear that kind of tell us that our body has to be in a certain position or a holding pattern when our body's fluid. So learning that there was a give and take between the human body and the piano, like, you know, artists could be very self-centered. So for me, it's just like, it's my body, it's my hands. What else does it matter? It's like, well, no, the piano is actually giving energy back to me from what I'm putting into it. So when the keys come back, there's a release into that. When my foot's hitting the pedal, the pedal comes back up. So, like, it's a it's a give and take with your instrument. And when I started really honing into that, I noticed a dramatic shift just in everything, from how I played to how I conducted. And then it filtered into the rest of my life, into how I do yoga and how I swim and how I lift weights, how I walk down the street or, what you know, how I'm holding my body if I'm waiting for the subway. And um, it kind of took over just... <laughs> how I live with my physical body day in and day
0: out. Mm. I've had a very similar experience with the Alexander technique. I think you described it beautifully about that interchange of the tension of your body flowing into the instrument and then that flowing back through the body, through the resonance or the vibration of the strings for the guitar, which I play, or with the piano, the keys coming back up from there and that flowing into you. And it's more than just a physical thing. There's this energetic space of the music's breathing. I know in flamenco music, like the, the highest compliment that you can get is that your music has aida, air flowing through it, that the breath is there. And if we're in a place of deep lockdown and tension in ourselves and there's no breath flowing through us or no fluidity flowing through us, there's no way that can be flowing through the music.
1: Amen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, once I got really into it, I realized that my my sense of time when I was like calm and relaxed and in my body was infinitely better than me. Was like tense really
0: in my head interesting i had a similar experience like that with i was recording an album and i was recording some guitar solos i was in like the recording booth where i was super kind of nervous and i was trying to get the perfect take and i'd played it like 10 times and every time we listened back to it it was super choked and the timing just wasn't right i was like okay let me like just try this alexander thing and release and relax and breathe and just go with that And it felt much scarier I played one take of it. We listened back and it was just so spot on. And I was like, okay, I guess there's something here.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely.
0: So that's beautiful. And and you notice it not just affecting your musicianship, but also emanating out into the rest of your life.
1: Absolutely. I, I mean, I still use it to this day.
0: Besides the pain experience or the tension and the injury, how has it affected your music beyond
1: beyond just that? I mean it might sound cheesy but after the injury I had I kind of at a level where there's a little it's a little fearless like I'm not afraid of I'm not afraid of making music I'm not afraid of being at my instrument there's a there's a new kind of confidence that comes in ever not that I was ever afraid before but when you have an injury like that it it kind of puts you on edge like is what I'm doing healthy because when I was recovering from my injury I had physical therapists tell me that that I shouldn't be using my head to conduct a musical theater if you're behind the piano sometimes you have to nod your head a lot to conduct and i had my physical therapist saying oh well you should not even be doing that and it's like i kind of need to do that for my career and there's 10 people doing this every night on broadway and they're just fine um so coming back from that injury was i mean there were nights at work where i was nervous like i don't want to move my head like this or i don't want to move my arm like that um but to be on the other side now where there's this almost just fearlessness that's like, I know I'm going to be fine. It's comforting.
0: Yes. I can relate to that immensely. Cause for the longest time I had injured my wrist through guitar playing and for, for several years, I can never play the guitar without fear, uh, wow. re-damaging myself. And that is completely vanished now. So grateful to share that with you, Rick. And you've been in the clear ever since? In the clear ever since, yep. And awesome. the music's never felt and sounded better. So it's an interesting thing how an injury could actually invoke positive changes in the music. Not only is, does the pain go away, which seems like a, the pain seems like a curse or the injury seems like a curse, but actually that could in, invoke deeper understanding of musicianship and learning and how to even be a greater musician than ever before. Absolutely. Beautiful. I know before we spoke uh, about how you found that your emotional state, the things you were going through emotionally, seemed to impact your physical condition as a musician. Did you share about your experience with that?:
1: Well, you kind of you kind of hit two things. Like I, I think the emotional state plays out in the physical body. But then I think a step beyond that, what's in the physical body with your emotional state going on then gets transferred to your music. For me, my injury was a huge wake-up call that the physical body and the emotional body are related. That was hmm. a bit of a, a rude awakening of sorts, but a good awakening because I've I've really come to believe that all the emotions that we that we go through and that we don't necessarily process all the way get stored somewhere and i think that was a huge contributing factor to to my injury so i guess in one sense it was a bit of a learning lesson because i've always been very in touch with emotions and never never afraid of talking about my feelings and going there and i'm i like to go deep like i'm not a i can't live on the surface all the time so it was kind of a a journey in in processing emotion in an, in a new way knowing that there was going to be a physical manifestation of that and to and to go with it mm. and to not to not stop it and to not be afraid of it and to not to and to not ignore it especially don't ignore it but just to recognize that it's going to be there and and that that's okay and that's part of the journey and then i guess in terms of how that would how that would relate to music. I actually think music's a beautiful expression for all of this because music needs to have tension and music needs to have angst and music. Part of what makes music so awesome is that it touches on so many different emotions. So I I think when you're going through like an emotional period that can be beautifully translated through your music, but at the same time, I think there's a way to do that. That's not physically damaging to your body. Mm. So like there's times where if I am feeling really emotional or if I'm feeling tense, there are some pieces of music that I actually think that if I go sit at the piano and play them will bring a sense of like relief and be almost therapeutic. So I don't know. I think there's a lot a lot to work with in that world, but I think what's most important is making, making the connection that there's even a relationship.
0: Interesting. So you found that at times when you've been feeling particular things emotionally in your life, challenges, that seems to be sh- cropping up or manifesting themselves in your body in some sort of way.
1: Yes. Oh, yes.
0: As various physical symptoms or in what way would you say?
1: Um, for me, it, it translates to muscle tension. So whether whether it's in the hips or the shoulders or even in the neck, those are kind of my my classic problem spots. But again, it was, it was my practice through Alexander after that injury that's made me almost hyper aware of, of what's going on in my physical body.
0: Interesting. I agree with you that there's this experience of wanting to allow the emotionality to convey itself through the music, not wanting to shut that part of it out. That needs to be there and present if we're going to express ourselves in the most authentic way with our music. So how do you allow for that emotionality to be present and still be able to deliver the performance or not hurt yourself? That's a great question.
1: I think for me, it's, it's, um, looking the emotion head on and just recognizing that it's there and accepting that it's there. And I mean, it's cheesy, but like emotions are like waves. So like everything's going to come and flow and And if there's a lot of like serious anger right now in four hours or in two days, it might be totally different. So I think my thing is just to be honest of what the emotion is in the moment and know that that emotion is going to come into play. So like if I have to play something really tender, but what I'm feeling is rage, (laughs) you kind of have to, you know, you say hi to the rage and you recognize that it's there, but You also just know that for this moment you have to find the tender because that's what needs to be expressed emotionally with your music. But what's really interesting is when you go down that path and you actually let a little bit of the tender in, because that's what's needed musically sometimes that makes the rage. It takes the air out a little bit. Mm. So it's, it's funny how they, they almost work with, they work with each other when you just kind of let them be, but also stay true to what you have to are, you know, express artistically.
0: Very interesting. And there's something about allowing the emotion to be there, not trying to shut it out or force it away. I need to make this other sound, but really let that be present and look for the other thing that mm-hmm. can actually create something perhaps even more beautiful or more poems mm-hmm. or even more therapeutic in nature, or healing in nature to the specific things
1: you are feeling. Absolutely. it It, it almost adds a new color to your music. Cause it's a, it's probably like, like in the example I use, if it's a tender moment, you wouldn't expect an element of rage to be there, but think about what that it, it's a new, it's a new interpretation. But I think my point in all this is just that when you at least acknowledge it and let it be there, then it's not going to necessarily get locked up somewhere mm-hmm. and turn into something debilitating or turn into a physical ailment. It's, it can just breathe and it can go on its journey rather than just getting stuck because you just deny its existence and push it aside.
0: Sure. I'm, I'm so fascinated by this thing of like that, which isn't going to hurt us or cause us physical problems or pain actually can support our full expression as musicians, mm-hmm. which it sounds like the, this does by acknowledging the emotions and let, letting them be there. Um, they don't get stuck in the body and the music ends up taking on a deeper life or more depth or, at least the creativity of the moment. I think one of the most amazing things about music is you have access to all these different emotions. You can sit down to play the same song 10 different times, but be feeling 10 different things with where you're at. And if there is that openness and that freedom and that spaciousness and that acceptance, the song can just reveal itself in 10 completely different ways and move you in 10 completely different ways. Totally. So what would you say is the number one thing that's important for professional musicians to thrive in the
2: business?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I wish I had a really great answer for this question. Um, Well, I think we're all different and what, I mean, I'm in the midst of kind of like a huge like life change right now. So what, what's been really big for me in the past couple of years of my life is my definition of success has changed. And I think what's important for any, I mean, not even just musicians, but for any professional, we can all define success for ourselves and it doesn't have to mean for us what it meant for our parents or for our partners or our siblings and et cetera. So for, for me, so many years of decades of my life were success equaled like working on Broadway, living in New York city and, having a show eight times a week to go play or conduct. And I found myself in a world where I was doing that and I was living my dream, but I was really unhappy. So it made me question my own definition of success and finally say, you know what? That was my definition for so many years and that might be changing and that's terrifying, but it's okay. And for me, my, I'm on the journey right now. I mean, I'm in the midst of the journey as we speak right now. So I haven't found the answer yet, but I'm out there searching for it. I'm not locked in a place where I feel stuck anymore. But what you also brought, you you brought up a fun memory that, and it kind of ties into how we define success. And what I remember is somebody at some point said to me, I just want to be employed on a regular basis and making art with people who I respect and enjoy being in the same room with. And to me, that still fits into my definition of success. It doesn't have to be a huge Broadway show and it doesn't have to be like film scoring or being on the biggest movie. But I, I want to always be artistically stimulated, steadily employed, and just being in a room with people who I respect and am comfortable making music with. And that's kind of the path I'm on right now. So I, but I think it's different. I think other musicians, they, they're going to define success differently. It's going to be on a, you know, getting a record label or getting, if they're a songwriter, getting their songs produced. Um, I think there's so many ways it can work, but the one thing I guess I would say like in a broad sense to all professional musicians, it's to keep the fun alive. We all found music when we were at some point in our lives that it hit us hard enough that we're on this very unsteady and unpredictable path of being a professional artist and when the fun disappears I don't know I think the quality of music diminishes Mm. I think it's always a matter of like keeping the fun alive and staying true to what drives you to make music and how that ultimately fits into your definition of success
2: Mm.
0: and can you give us an example of one thing that really helps you keep the fun alive
1: in your own musicianship yeah, I mean it's kind of nerdy, but like I have to go back to the I have to go back to the songs and the artists that kind of shaped me as I was a kid and growing up that made me fall in love with music in the first place. So like if there's one day where I'm gonna go back and sit and listen to Rent because that's all I listened to when I was a sophomore or a junior in high school, then so be it. I mean, I grew up with my parents always had like the old East station on. So, I mean, I grew up with like doo-wop music and like Frankie Valley and Motown and all of that. So I allow myself to, to go listen to that music and keep that music alive. Cause it reminds me of why, why I got into all this in the first place. Um, so I think, I think maintaining a, a, a fun relationship to music outside of just your professional relationship to music is key. And, and I think it's hard when you're working 10 hours a day and trying to make sure that recording comes out perfectly or make sure this rehearsal goes well. You don't always want to come home and have fun with music. Mm. Cause I mean, I, there were so many times I remember being in a pattern of being resentful that I had to like go to work. I have to actually get up and I have to go, go to rehearsal again tomorrow. And cause it gets exhausting and it's not always fun, but I, I think the key to stamina is, mm. is making sure that you, I don't know. You have to find a way to keep the fun alive. And you also have to know when to step away. It's okay to step away from your instrument for a week or two. If you need to just take a breather from it all. I don't think artists are meant to be creating 24 seven. I think, I think like anything else you need, you need healthy space from it. So I've been me personally, like I have about two weeks coming up where I have no music to play. And I'm actually kind of excited because it's been nonstop the past couple months. So I'm like looking forward to a little recharge. Hmm. Really giving it's the some space. Exactly. But in our business, we're taught that when we're not working, we're not good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because the big question, especially walking around New York, is like, well, what are you up to? What are you working on? And if you don't have an answer, it's almost like this less than creeps in. And again, it's been years of trying to learn this and not take it personally and not judge yourself for it. But sometimes when you're not working you're living your life and you're having life experience. And then when you come back to working, you're bringing that life experience to your music and it makes your music even stronger. So it's just trusting the journey and trusting that the next gig will be there and (laughs) it's okay to take time for you.
0: Absolutely. I have noticed that experience, sort of that phenomenon in my own musicianship that times that I'll take an extended period away from playing it all, I'll come back and I'll be like, I'm better than I was before, or I'm yeah. at least coming up with a lot more creative, interesting things than I was before. Like the music totally. is fresh again.
1: I love that when I'm learning like a new score and there's like really tricky passages and I'm practicing it over and over and over. I always have to remind myself, like take a day off and I just take 24 hours and I don't touch it. And then nine times out of 10, I'll come back the day later and oh, all of a sudden I can play it just because you you need to just let your I mean, there's a lot of muscle memory involved and neural pathways you're creating. And so our our artistry and our relationship to creating music with our instrument doesn't always move as fast as like the social media, cell phone world we live in 24-7. So it's, I don't know, I think it's healthy to take breaks.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds to me like you, a big part of your keeping the fun alive and also just what it is to be successful as a musician is heavily about you staying authentic to yourself. It sounds like you having this experience that, well, you know, what success was for you, that seemed to shift at a certain point in time. Mm-hmm. And acknowledging for that for yourself and pivoting and shifting and staying true seems like it's super important.
1: I don't know if I'm a weirdo or an anomaly or what, but that's that's just how I live my life, period. That's not how I am as a musician. I mean, for my friends who know me, I don't know if it's just coming well, coming out of the closet when I did or how I was raised. I don't know where it comes from, but authenticity has always been just one of the top things in my life. If I'm not staying true to who I am, then why? Like, we're on this planet for such a short period of time. <laughs> so if you're not going to be true to yourself, then who are you going to be true to? So that's just my kind of grander life philosophy. Mm. Well, I don't, anyway, think, it you're, might not be I don't think
0: you're now. a weirdo at all. And, <laughs> and all, anybody who's listening to this is benefiting tremendously from your authenticity and vulnerability. So thank you very much for being so open to sharing with us. Not of course. And I think along those lines, perhaps as a final question here, would you be open to sharing with us one of your most meaningful musical experiences?
1: This is a hard question for me because obviously there's like so many, because I kind of, I can kind of categorize them. Like are there, were there experiences that kind of shifted my life choices and like what kind of career I wanted? Yes. Or were there were there artists I saw in concert that were so inspiring? Absolutely. So like to narrow it down to just one is <laughs> is really hard. I guess what I can speak to and this is just going to be personal to just me and my life but last summer was kind of the kickoff of this like new chapter in my life where my definition of success changed and I wanted to just explore different things like living in a new city and and all of that so I I had a job a steady job in New York for about 5 years and I made the choice to leave and to give the west coast a try and having a California love affair for a long time and one of my dear friends in New York, uh, he's, a, he's a fellow music director and a pianist as well. We, we wanted to go see a concert together, and Billy Joel is doing all these concerts at Madison Square Garden right now. So being a pianist who grew up, you know, listening to pop music, Billy Joel has always been in just, – he's, he's just always been there. I've always been familiar with his catalog. And being in New York for 20 years, finally seeing him live at Madison Square Garden – was very moving in a way I was not expecting. Like, I've always loved his music, but I didn't expect to be emotionally moved the way I was. And then what was really super cool was just like six weeks after that concert, I kind of had the polar opposite LA experience where my first live music experience in Los Angeles was at the Hollywood Bowl, which is like a place I've always, always wanted to see a concert. And I got to see John Williams conducting his music at the Hollywood Bowl. So I don't know if these would be like the most memorable musical experiences of my life, but the fact that they existed in that like six week span and they were so iconic to like each of the places they existed in. And for just me and the music I've always had in my life, those were like, I'll never forget those two experiences.
0: It is amazing just how emotional it can be to experience, especially in person, the vibrations of songs and music and Composers who we just have meant so much to us or have been such a big part of our lives. What is it about music that is so emotionally
1: affecting? Well, I think the fact that none of us can really answer that question is is the answer. Like it's universal. It affects everyone in such a different way. And I, I almost take pleasure in the fact that I can't answer it. Because I think when you can answer it, it becomes finite and and I never want music to be finite. It always needs to be new and creative and new interpretations. Yeah. I'm sorry about it. Yeah. I almost don't want to answer that question. <laughs> it's a magical thing. And it's yeah, wonderful it really that it,
0: it's, a such, it's a magical thing that's just a blessing that for whatever reason it exists in
1: this world, at least how I feel about it. Oh, since the dawn of time, people have been gathering and making sounds and creating sounds. So... It's it's a pretty awesome tradition that has withstood the test of time and shows no sign of ending anytime soon. So I I love that there's something kind of it's almost spiritual. It's bigger than all of us. And and everyone has their own experience with it that's personal to them. Mm. Whether they're a pro or not, even if they're just an amateur or if they're just they don't even play an instrument, but they just love music. Everybody is very passionate about their musical journey and the music they choose to incorporate into their daily lives.
0: Absolutely. I think it really is something that is such an individual experience, as you say, and something that connects us all together and to this kind of spiritual beyond us
1: experience of life. I mean, we just witnessed this with Aretha's passing and I was a mess for like two days because of that. And again, I've never seen her live, but without even knowing it, like I don't remember a time in my life not knowing her music. Like from my youngest, youngest memories, I always knew her and her music. So it was, that was really powerful. And just to know somebody who was so revered for being authentic, Mm. because again, nobody she's, she's one of those once in a lifetime people that we were lucky to share the planet with. Um, And she affected millions of people, pros and non musicians alike. Hmm so
0: and there is something so drawing and inspiring about that authenticity the musicians who are the most authentic seem to be the ones that are revered the most in some ways yeah Yeah. or at least that i respected the most i guess i could say
1: i i agree with you
0: beautiful rick well i so appreciate you giving the space and the time today to, to speak with me
1: yeah of course glad i could be here
0: All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. I couldn't agree more with Rick when he shared that safety is so key for helping musicians play the best they can. In all musical situations I've been in, attempting to create a space where the musicians feel as safe as possible really heightens expressiveness, playing accuracy, and just the overall enjoyment level of the performers and listeners. I've been at a lot of jam sessions where the musicians, me included, did not feel safe with each other. And I've also been to jam sessions where the musicians felt a deep sense of safety and trust. And boy, is the caliber and enjoyment of the music completely different. I think this safety can be cultivated with simple kindness, acknowledging that none of us are perfect, and also doing our best to check our egos at the door when we come into a musical situation. For years, I was guilty of making people feel unsafe when I'd play with them because I always felt I had to prove I was the best. But since I've let that need go, everyone I play with seems to feel safer and freer to be themselves, myself included, and the music reflects that in such a beautiful way. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you'd like to learn more about Rick, you can check out the show notes at www.holisticmusicianship.com podcast. And if you liked what you heard, feel free to subscribe wherever you like to listen to be notified when future episodes are released. For now, I wish you beautiful, safe, and inspired musical explorations, and I'll see you next time on the Holistic Musicianship Podcast.